Hello, everyone. This is Grace Cho. This is another episode of Creative Careers by Entrepreneur. Today, we have a treat. We are speaking to Sergio Bessa, an extraordinary brain of the art world. He was appointed by the Bronx Museum as Director of Curatorial and Educational Programs. He's a well-renowned writer, educator, and we are so honored and thrilled to be speaking with you, Sergio. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Until recently, you were the director, and now you are handling Sanford's show. Right. I work at the Bronx Museum for 16 years. I left last December. But I left with a couple of painting projects, and the Sanford Beavers Code Switch exhibition was one of them. How did you meet Sanford? You know, I kind of chased him. One of the exhibitions that I was very interested in was an exhibition that happened in 2000, and it was about the influence of hip-hop in contemporary culture, which I thought it was a fun subject and it was very thoughtfully put together. I think it was one of the first exhibitions to address that subject. But I was very uh, impressed with Sanford's contribution to that exhibition because he actually broadened his understanding of hip-hop to go back to other cultures, in particular Japanese culture and the traditions of Zen Buddhism. So he did this piece that was really beautiful. It was a mandala that also doubled as a dance floor. It was made in linoleum, and it was just beautiful. So I was very kind of taken with that work, and uh, I kept researching Sanford or following his work, just kind of interested. And then at some point in 2010 or 2011, received the grant from the Ford Foundation to acquire artwork for the collection, and I approached Sanford to do a studio visit. And in that studio visit, I saw some of the works that are in this exhibition now. And it blew my mind um, because I thought they were beautiful uh, paintings. And then when I began to talk to him and he told me what the paintings are about, which is about the underbound period and the underground railroad, I thought that it was just spectacular how he handled that subject matter. I thought about that work for some time, and then in conversation with my colleague, Andrea Anderson, we thought that this could be a beautiful show, and this is what happened. It's a wonderful show, and what I find curious is the juxtaposition of hip-hop culture with Japanese Zen Buddhism. Exactly. Yeah. You know, Sanford lived in Japan for, I believe, a couple of years, and he's very influenced by that. So I think a lot of the quilts you see that, you know, there is a remnant of history, of American history. It refers so much to anonymous work, mostly done by women. We also have the whole history of a jazz band, which has been such a cultural landmark in this country. And then he overlaps that with imagery from Japanese culture, which I think it's really beautiful. Has he explained what the connection is between the two cultures? Not when you look back at the history of the civil rights in this country, you find that Martin Luther King was influenced by Gandhi, for example. The whole non-violent uh, movement came from that background. And I think in Buddhism, finding the middle path, and so many other 
ideas related to Buddhism. In Japanese culture, there is this tradition that if, if you break an object, for example, a porcelain bowl, you don't just throw it in the trash. You glue it back together, and sometimes you actually insert some gold filament in those cracks. So that kind of reference to the old and, uh, and taking care of things, I think it's a big part of that. That points to a question that I've had been meaning to ask you, which is the job of a curator. Obviously, the artist had a certain message when he was building his pieces. What additional layer of storytelling can the curator bring to the show? That's a very good question. It's always a collaboration. It's always a dialogue. But in my own experience, I decide what is it that I'm interested in. And then I approach the artist and I say, okay, you know, I, I'm interested in this. How can we do that? So just to be very specific, in the case of Sanford, Sanford has a production that is very broad, very multidisciplinary. He does videos, he is a musician, he does sculpture. But when I approached him, and Andre and I agreed with that, we said, you know, we are just interested in doing a survey of the quilts. So that narrowed down quite a lot the scope of the exhibition. That actually helped with the catalog, which actually came out very nicely. We did in collaboration with the Yale University Press. And the catalog is almost a catalog resume of all the quilts that he has done to this point. So I was very, you know, as a curator, I'm interested in documenting and bringing focus to a specific work. I tend to run away from this really all over the place kind of things. But in this particular case with Sanford, he was very amenable to it. He loved the idea. Obviously, the exhibition was put together in partnership with the artist. That's clear. But do you add another layer of perspective that the artist perhaps did not think of? Yeah, I think so. One of the ideas that I was interested in, of course, there was the historical component of the Underground Railroad, and the Antebellum, and the Runaway Slaves. It's a very rich history. I couldn't possibly do justice to all that. But on top of that, we are here in 2020. It's contemporary life, Black Lives Matter, Afrofuturism, Afropunk, and all those things. So we knew we wanted to try something different. So Andrea and I looked for different models. And one of the models that I showed to Sanford actually was a video by Michael Jackson, a song of his called Shout, that he sings with his sister, Jenna Jackson. And the two of them are in this spaceship. And I thought, you know, I think it's so interesting because your quilts, they definitely have roots in the past, but they also point to the future. And he loved that idea, you know, so it's very kind of interesting. And then in the installation, we could not emulate that kind of sci-fi spirit of uh, Michael Jackson's video, but there's a few hints to some kind of futuristic architecture or sensibility. That's great. That's a very interesting perspective on his quilt show. What, what was it about the quilts that interested you? Obviously, there's history involved in that, but I would love to hear your version of it. It was interesting. When I first visited Sanford in his studio, I saw the quilts, and I immediately told him, I said, you know, these are such great paintings. 
because to that point, I knew Sanford as more of a conceptual artist, someone who's really big on ideas. And then I get to his work, and it's all done by hand. And I thought, this is wonderful. And he looked at me a little bit surprised because, you know, he, he realized that I didn't know about his background. And he said, well, you know that I graduated in painting, right? And, you know, of course, I didn't know that. So when I got to his studio, I was just so surprised and amazed by how good a painter he is. So that was one of the things. And then the other thing was this idea of how he uses the quilt as the basis for these paintings. So it's, uh, it's something that reminded me a lot of a feminist work. So there was something very endearing to me to see him, you know, acknowledge that kind of work, which I think is a really beautiful gesture. Very much so. And throughout history, quilts have been such an important medium to tell stories. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd like to switch gears for a little bit and then talk about your career, Sergio. Sure. Tell us why you chose this particular career. You know, it's very interesting. I don't think I chose to become a curator. It was something that really happened. And I say that with no irony. I have always been interested in literature, and my professional background is in education. And when I was in grad school in the 90s at NYU, I was working on a thesis that it was about how some artists, they double in as visual artists and also poets. So this has always been something uh, very interesting to me. So what happened was that toward the end of the 90s, a friend of mine referred me to the Metropolitan Museum, and I began to work at the Metropolitan Museum as a, a lecturer in galleries, talking about art to adults and children and so forth. And that was really a, a turning point for me. I think that was something that I had never done before. I had taught in classroom, but not in the setting of a gallery, of a museum, and so forth. And then, of course, working at the Metropolitan Museum, it's a gift. You learn so much because you have to prepare for the lectures and you have to research about this painting and that painting. So it was really wonderful. And I got to the Bronx Museum as the director of education originally. And that's how it started. But in the beginning, I really didn't have any idea for shows or anything like that. It was just like sort of management kind of uh, drive the museum to run well and bring in good people. And eventually I began to do exhibitions. But it happened in a very organic way. It was nothing planned. Great. So many people ask me this question. What is a curator? What is the purpose of a curator? Well, you know, the curator, as the word says, the curator is someone who takes care of things. We are really there to work with people. But first and foremost, I think the curator makes sure that the work is in good shape, the work is protected, the work is well-documented, it's well-interpreted. Over the years, you write labels, and then you discover more things, and you write new labels. And uh, so it's like an ongoing relationship with this object that you care for. I think it's as simple as that. Over the years, a lot of people projected so much on the role of the curator, and nowadays the expression curator has become almost kind of a, a 
a trope. You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to curate these flowers, I'm going to curate this dinner, and, uh, and it's all funny. But when you go back to what curators do in, in museums, it's quite remarkable. You know, it's, uh, there is a lot of the unsung heroes, people who go the extra mile to actually guarantee the safety of work. It makes things very clear as to what curators do. They take care of the art. Yeah, they take care. And, you know, I, I always think also a few years ago when ISIS was big threat in the Middle East, they actually targeted curators in, in museums. And there was a lot of curators in Iraq uh, and Syria that they were killed because they were protecting the history and the legacy and so forth. And of course, for a group as extreme as that, it was clearly a threat. You had been in your position for a long time, 16 years. Mm -hmm. What's different about or unique about the Bronx Museum's curated shows versus other museums? I like to think that there is a difference, but a lot of other institutions would claim the same. And I think the difference that we have is because of the community where the museum is. So the Bronx Museum really reflects the community where the museum is located. In the beginning, we were talking about hip-hop. So the idea that some curators from the Bronx Museum actually embraced some vernacular of the community and transformed that into an exhibition, I think it's, it's really unique, and it's really a model for how institutions can work or dialogue with the communities. I want to say that particularly the small community museums, I don't think the same you can say for about big museums, because for bigger museums, the community is a little bit more abstract. It's more international or more national. That's a very, very interesting distinction. It's a celebration of the local community in a way. Exactly. I think there is so much that curators in larger museums could learn from curators in smaller museums. You're very connected to the local culture. And how do you know when a show has been successful? Now with social media, it's much easier. There are ways to measure. And, and of course, attendance is always a big kind of metric. Museums, even a few years ago, were very resistant to any kind of technology that helped their exhibitions to go virtual. Mm -hmm. But museums like the Bronx Museum, to capture the wider audience, going virtual can be a great tool to reach big audiences. What is your feeling on that? Yeah, especially now, what we're going through, I think it's so important to actually be able to bring that kind of experience to people at home. And then even in other occasions, there are people with issues of mobility, but they would love to be able to see that. Or people living abroad, and they miss the opportunity. So I think virtual walkthrough, it's just fantastic. We're very happy with that. So my final question to you, Sergio, is what would you say to somebody who says, I want to be a curator. What should they do? Well, I don't know if you can learn how to be a curator. I have my questions. I wonder whether going to school for that is really the answer. What I think is helpful is to really work on your writing skills, because a lot of the background of doing an exhibition is how you create a narrative about it so that the narrative can convince funders to give you money convince your boss to give you little slots in the calendar 
and so forth. And then you're going to write labels for the exhibition and you're going to write an essay. And I think I have to say that a lot of what curators do is this mediation of the object through language. Sometimes when I'm visiting a museum, I, I love the Met, for example, they have an amazing collection. And sometimes I read a label and the label is so well written and I take a little snapshot. And I was just like, how, you know, this is so good. How did he do that? And I think that ability to organize your thoughts in writing, it helps with organizing your thoughts in space. Very good advice. Well, Sergio, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a wonderful, wonderful treat. It's been an incredible conversation. I thank you so much for your time. You're most welcome.